And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show's Football GM Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Football GM Podcast. Mike Sando here, along with the GM, Randy Mueller. How are we doing, Mr. GM? Doing great, Michael. Always good to be back for another show. Our keys work again for another week, so I'm fired yeah. up. Yeah, no doubt about it. We can't say the same thing around the league. No, There's a lot of change this time of year. And <laughs> I've been that guy where your key doesn't work, you know. That's why I chuckled when I heard, I heard Mike Tomlin say, my card, uh, my key card still works. People yeah. think that's funny, but it's for real, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go, we always see that, that little, you know, clip of the guy going to the Jets member and it doesn't work. You always see that as kind of a, yeah. this guy on Monday. Well, how does that work though? When you're, uh, you know, when you're let go, do, is it all above board or have you ever had the key card not work or, you know, you, you couldn't go pick up your stuff in the office or how does that stuff work for guys? It's only happened to me one time and it was black Monday when I left the dolphins. But to be honest with you, in fact, I said this on a show a couple weeks ago, it might not have been our show, but, um, I knew ahead of time. You you have instincts. Yeah. We talk about players having instincts <laughs> for the game. You yeah. have instincts for your own job as well. And yeah. so Bill Parcells had been hired and he had been around for two or three weeks and he had never had a single conversation with me. And I would say we were friends really my whole career. I used to talk to him all the time. So we, were, we had really? a really good line of communication. Yeah. So once he got there and never Wasn't really talking ever, to you? Yeah, ever. I knew... I knew that that he wanted to be the GM. I, I figured that much out. That type of stuff's so weird to me, though. I mean, yeah. you guys are buddies, and then all of a sudden, it's just for that week, it's awkward, huh? Well, it was for two or three weeks that he was on board. I remember the staff locker room. His locker was two down from me, and and uh, it's like we didn't know each other, you know. And I didn't press the issue. I I just I knew right, and so that that Monday, I had all my boxes packed. I was ready to roll. Probably within thirty minutes of our conversation, I was yeah. out the door. So yeah. I knew I was I knew what was going on, um, and it was just time. So it happens, but I don't think anybody's ever not been able to get in their office because their key card doesn't work. Now, you may have trouble sending an email after the conversation because <laughs> that computer is the first thing nowadays people grab, but uh, or shut down per se. Oh, I mean, in the real world, not the fantasy world of the uh, you know of the NFL, people do get escorted out of the building. You know, uh, yeah. all of a sudden they're right. done. And now sometimes there's circumstances around that you right. know uh, that are a little bit different. Uh, but yeah, I was wondered how that how that works when it goes. You hear about guys going to their office that week and pulling stuff out of there because they know it's coming. You know, and, and yeah. getting ready and all that. So. I think it happens a lot with coaches because you'll gather your files ahead of time if you know things yeah. that you'll want to travel with that the club, frankly, doesn't care if you travel with or not. So those things yeah. happen. One one other funny thing about when I did leave, um, I passed a guy coming to interview for my job on the way out <laughs> in the hallway. I passed a, a, a guy who was, like I say, going to interview for the GM job later that day. So uh, if, if, if it wasn't enough for you to, to get fired and have your, your boxes in hand, you pass your replacement on the way out. That's nuts. That's very funny because I caught an episode of the 
of the office last night where uh, <laughs> Mike, Michael was quitting as the regional manager and, uh, you know, because he's going to start the Michael Scott paper company, of course, legendary paper company. And uh, as he's leaving, he sees the guy sitting in the lobby who's coming to interview for his job. Michael Scott sits down next to him and pretends like he's one of the candidates. Also, <laughs> I'm picturing you doing that as your guy goes and maybe you can interview for your own job. There's a lot of George Costanza moments in there. That's for sure. Where you just don't know yeah. if the, you can't make the stuff up. That's for sure. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, one guy whose key card does work is Mike McCarthy uh, for the Cowboys. Kind of an interesting situation, Randy, where, um, I mean, shoot, the last three years, they're second in the league in win percentage, right? Seven, over 70%. Normally you'd yeah. say no brainer, this guy's staying, but the nature of how you lose in the playoffs, or if there's a cumulative effect of not getting over the hump, that thing comes into play sometimes too. And we'll talk a little bit about that with like the situation with in Philadelphia too, with Nick Sirianni, which I think we agree is different in this case. Um, I came out of that Dallas game feeling like something does need to change, but I didn't really feel like it was McCarthy. I'm not ultimately surprised. What's your sort of thoughts? Yeah, I would agree. I, I was not surprised that, that he stays. Um, in fact, I thought it would have been a major step back to make a move. But here's the problem, and, and this is not yeah. a media problem. It's a society problem. There was a vendetta to get him replaced the minute he fired you know, uh, Kellen Moore a year ago, right? And so if you weren't better, that was going to be deemed a failure. And people forget that winning 12 games is really hard. And I know that's not the bar where we set to, to, you know, regular season wins matters that much, but it really does. Winning games is really hard in the NFL. I don't care if it's week one, week 17, or in the playoffs. And so I'm not surprised. I didn't think Jerry would reset everything Hey, let's face it. Dak's never played better. The offense, the really, in my opinion, yeah. has never been better. So there's a lot of positives coming. But I agree with you in that I think what their losses this year showed me was that they have structurally some issues in team building. That team is not built to win certain matchups, especially on defense. And that was a struggle for me. And it was clear that that they couldn't stop the run at crucial times during the whole season. I think the the the... the I guess referendum on Mike was that people were judging him really on the one game. And, and that doesn't really happen in the NFL. You have a bigger body of work to stand on. And I think that's a frustrating thing for fans and for media. But that's what happened here is that there was a bigger body of work. Well, I want to get into that a little bit. But what you said about the construction of the team is really interesting to me, uh, Randy. We, you and I talked a little bit about this yesterday, uh, just in our regular conversations which we don't record. We don't put those out, but, uh, Thank but, some, of, but some of those are good. You know, some of those are good. They get us, get us, get yeah. our brain going a little bit. And one of the things we were talking about was, you know, when you think about a team that was really good, but took a long time to win the playoffs. Uh, I always think of the Peyton Manning Colts of the, uh, of the, you know, the two thousands, uh, really had great teams. They won a ton of games in the regular season, but it took, took a long time, I mean, to really get through in the playoffs. Some of that, sure, you're playing against, you know, Brady's in the playoffs and all of that with those great New England teams. But I think right. the contrast between the team builds of New England and uh, Indy back in that day maybe apply a little bit now as we look at, at uh, you know, at how this team is built with speed, 
Mm-hmm. If you look at those Colts teams, Randy, as we talked about yesterday, great pass rushers. The idea was, hey, we got Peyton Manning. We're going to score 30 points, and then we're just going to turn these rushers loose and be fast and win. And it did work. Because we're going to be ahead. Because we're going to be ahead most of the time. Yeah. Yeah, and and I get it. I mean, on, it doesn't sound like a bad way to go. You play to the strengths of your team, but in Dallas's case in particular, they don't have Peyton Manning. They have a good Dak Prescott. But are they built a little bit the same way? And is that a fatal flaw, do you think, for them? Well, it can be a fatal flaw depending on the matchups. I think that's what you find. And you you recall the Colts games or Colts teams. I, I was with the Chargers at the time, and I remember us matching up against the Colts very well. And this is when we had good running backs. Daniel Thompson. Yeah, yeah, we ran the ball right down their throat. And they were small, and they couldn't do anything about it. And so matchups matter. And they seems like they get amplified more in the playoffs because it is all about one game, one scheme, one plan, and one design. And that, that's, I think, what we saw happen with, with Dallas. And, and you bring it up that the, that was the Achilles heel of the Colts as well. So sometimes your matchups favor the way your team is constructed. But if it's constructed like this, where you have a lack of size, a lack of strength, a lack of sand at the point of attack, these things can be problematic when you face a team that decides they're going to run the ball and can execute it. It's one thing to decide to do it. It's another thing to execute a design plan. Yeah, absolutely. Was that in the playoffs? The Chargers did 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 uh, Rivers Philip Rivers tore his, tear his ACL against the Colts. Was that what it was in the playoffs? I'm trying to think. Uh, maybe he played the next week. I know that. I think <laughs> I think it might have been in New England or something like yeah, that. I yeah, think yeah, him yeah. and LT both did one yeah. time, and LT missed, and and uh, the quarterback played. So. Yeah, I know he played in the New England game. It was just making yeah. me think of all that. But yeah, th- that's an interesting component for um, Dallas to think about because certainly the head coach is ultimately responsible for a lot of these things, and are you winning in the playoffs? Mike McCarthy doesn't get a free pass forever on that just right. because you're going to win 70%. But that component of it, I think I was sure disappointed with some things offensively. I think Mike McCarthy alluded to the fact that it took a while for Dak to get going in the game, and Dak was not good early. They, they had right. pick six and all kinds of things, but I would have hoped from a Dallas standpoint that their defense, which has been good statistically, could have held up a little bit better than it did and, and kept the game a little bit closer for them, and instead we saw it really, really uh, exposed. So that I just think it was a defense that at different times during the season, showed us a little window into what we saw. Linebackers, shaky. Up front, not able to hold a point. Secondary, uh, different styles of play. And I'm not saying Dan Quinn's not a good coach, because I think Dan is, but his defense has been built kind of to his liking and what they want to do. I'm not sure that's the answer in the long haul deep into the playoffs either. I think at some point, whether it's weather or whether it's the matchup, You've got to be able to hold the point, stop the run, and do some things other than just hope for turnovers. And oh, by the way, in your conference, you know, the 49ers like to run the ball. The Rams have a little bit more of a run game and are on the yeah. rise. Uh, Philly's been all about the run game, right? Their quarterback is yeah. built for it and all of that. So when the Saints were good, they ran the ball too, you know? Yeah. So yeah, all these yeah. teams are going to run the ball. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that'll be something to watch as all the focus will be on Dak Prescott, Mike McCarthy, what are you doing? That defensive side of the ball, for being as good as they were statistically, has some issues that have been exposed and maybe need to be addressed uh, for them to be a little bit more of a complete team. One thing that has not changed in Dallas, as the coaching staffs have over the years, is the way they evaluate and value players. And so that's another boat that has to be 
fixed, in my opinion, or at least tweaked. And, and Dak said it best. Dak said it at in the post-game press conference after the game. He said, if McCarthy's on, on the hot seat, so am I. And others said there's plenty of blame to go around. So um, we'll, see, yeah. we'll see if Jerry's willing to make the changes he needs to make to his own side of the building. That's really interesting because, you know, I, look, bigger pictures zoom out to 30,000 feet. I mean, I think we all agree that uh, Jerry Jones is the co- common denominator in the post-Jimmy Johnson era for be, having to be the star of the show and out front, making it difficult to coach the team. And I really right. hold him ultimately accountable for their inability to break through. They always raise the expectations and don't deliver. But below that, let's just set that to the side, your component of the evaluation process is interesting because I think we we do think that they've done a pretty good job of in the personnel department, right? We 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 would say in general they've done okay in personnel, right, with Will McClay and those guys. But that what you're what you're evaluating to in terms of the construction of your defense and maybe the style of players is that what you're getting at? It doesn't feel like they've had a ton of busted players, right? Well, I'm not willing to, and and I like Will McClay. I think he's done a really good job, like you say. Um, I would, two years ago, I thought the job was being done better than it was recently. So I'm just saying it it ebbs and flows as well. Here's an example. They paid the right tackle this year, $15 million on average year and signed him to an extension. Okay. To me, he's just a guy, you know, just a guy. And yeah. how and why we decided to pay that, I have no idea. But he he was getting run around like a turnstile the last few weeks. And I just don't know how that decision is made. How can we say this is worth this? And so decisions like that, you know, whether it's guys on defense that we're paying five, six million a year, I don't know that that's what we want is all I'm saying. So oh, someone yeah. has to, one, evaluate, two, value it, and then build in the team – the team bricks of, of team building components to put it all together. And I think there's there's a little bit of not so good a job this year done in that okay. regard. And and they were really, I think, better a couple of years ago from a total team standpoint. Yep. Yep. And I think the valuation thing always has been an issue with, with Jerry Jones wanting to almost yeah. justify his decisions with some of the right. contracts. Can't wait We've to overpay that. our own guys. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. There's no doubt that's been an issue. Before we move on to, to Eagles and the rest of this division, really, we're going to talk a little NFC yeah, East. I wanted to just put to you know a little bit of perspective here on on the playoff success component. Um, the last three seasons, seven teams have won at least sixty percent of their games. That's Kansas City, Dallas, Buffalo, San Francisco, Philly, Cincinnati, Baltimore. I thought it was interesting in just looking at the playoff success of these teams. Kansas City six and one in the playoffs. Cincinnati five and two. Probably no surprise; those are the best records. They have the best quarterbacks, probably. 49ers at four and two. That's actually a little better than I thought. They've gone, they've advanced in the playoffs typically. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia two and three, Dallas one and three, and Baltimore zero oh and one. Isn't it interesting? No one's talking about Baltimore. I know John Harbaugh's won a Super Bowl, and you know we we he has a lot of respect. I think rightfully so. But last three years they haven't won a playoff game. Yeah. So, well, maybe we talk about talking about them in a week. You know, hopefully for them in a good way, but. Uh, you know, I thought that was interesting. Now, Eagles' situation, Randy, last three seasons, Nick Sirianni, 34-17, and 17, playoffs every year, Super Bowl in 2022 season. But they are in a free fall without answers. And uh, this is one of those cases where if a change were made, I almost think the burden of proof is on Sirianni in a, in a weird way for having such a good record. Like, we've heard their meeting. 
you know, with ownership, I agree, kind of agree. He's got some explaining to do here, right? He definitely has some explaining to do. There's no doubt that that is something that, in my opinion, if he knew the answers, he would have fixed it two months ago or six or seven yeah. weeks ago. And that didn't, that was not apparent to me that he could fix anything. I think just as we talked about the personnel side of the Cowboys and the structure of that team being uh, ongoing with change, you've yeah. got to be able to do that as a GM is, is manage change and manage the change of your people. And that's something the Eagles this year did a bad job of. They didn't manage the change really in personnel on the defensive side, and they didn't manage the change of two coordinators walking out the door. And so that is part of the job description for a head coach. That is part of the job description for a GM. So I think we'll see how this goes in that I think Sirian has got to sell his vision and kind of not make excuses, but give his reasoning of why I can fix it now and couldn't fix it seven weeks ago. That would be my question if I was Jeff Lurie. I want to know what, if you have these answers, why not now? Maybe we were dinged up. Maybe, maybe he has some reasoning. I don't know. I saw a team that did not really seem committed to playing. Their fundamentals had yeah. really suffered. Their communication, especially on defense, was chaos half the time. So it was a team. It looked to me like Nick Sirianni was so worried about almost like a politician getting votes from his locker room that he forgot we got to work on certain things. We've got to grind on certain things. We've got to use all our OTA days in the offseason. We've got to actually practice hard and practice tackling and do some things because all those things went by the wayside for me the last five, six weeks with that team. I didn't see the commitment. I didn't see the commitment to fundamentals. I didn't see a team that really had bought in. So there's some missing element there. I don't know. You, you tell me how we fix well, it. I'm just looking at them a little bit bigger picture. We know Jason Kelsey is very likely to retire a stalwart player, a great player at a kind of an anchor position that can calm the quarterback position that really is, is huge for your offensive line. Uh, Fletcher Cox is, you know, uh, nearing the end, probably just chronologically, he's been around a long time. And, you know, certainly if, if he's assessing his future, which he is not committed to returning or saying he's made a decision, this wouldn't be probably a bad time for him. Uh, Brandon Graham, you know, has been there a long time and I think said he would like to come back, but there's a lot of guys that have been with this team for a long time who may not be in the future. This was kind of the last hurrah probably for that group. They have a ton of work to do. It looks like in their back seven defensively, you would say. Mm -hmm. That's got to sure. be a huge thing. So we're going to, we're almost in a little bit of a, not a reset this year, but there is some resetting maybe of the leadership of the team. Uh, you know, like we said, defense, there's a lot of things that are going to have to change. If you were the GM, uh, do you kind of decide maybe that, hey, it's time we, we got to reset this whole thing? Uh, or do you do it incrementally? Well, maybe we do, because like I said, I think you got to go back to your roots when you struggle. And for Nick Sirianni, he grew up on the offensive side of the ball. As you and I both know, he was an assistant for Norv Turner, was with the Chargers for several years mm -hmm. before spinning off and going with Frank Reich to uh, Indy and Philly. And so he's he's been down the offensive tree 100% of his time, as far as I'm concerned. The plan that I saw them roll out against Tampa last week was embarrassing. That was a uh, adjustments, uh, the opposite of making adjustments, the opposite of dealing with blitzes, the opposite of anything that you could have given your offense hope. And I thought I saw that in body language of the players. The body language, it's hard when you 
I think, lose a little bit of the locker room. And because of these veterans that are maybe walking out the door, like you said, it might be a credibility issue that they've got to find now from the top on down. I don't think Howie's going anywhere. Howie has built this team over and over again, and I think does a good job. But he's going to have to look hard at where does the locker room and how do they view the job of the head coach and how are they viewing our job to build this team? Because players do know. You can't fool them. So I think they've got a tough task in Jeff Lurie and Howie Roseman in dealing with how we restructure this. And sometimes change is hard, but they have found a way to deal with change pretty good. I think we'll see. I would not be surprised if they made a change in Philly, though. And and I could totally understand it. And like you said, it feels different for me because you have a long, longer history of body of work that happened all the second half of the season, really all the season. We've never been completely happy with the way Philly played all year long. So yep. I think they, they've got a, enough body of work to be able to get the answers they need for sure. Yep, absolutely. And to clarify, there uh, there was not an overlap with Norv and uh, and Nick. I think it was just Shane Steichen uh, who had the Norv ties. Oh, maybe so. maybe he came with uh, he came after. to us. Yeah, yeah. he was okay. after. He was after. And, and so, yeah, I bring that up, I mean, not just to clarify, but, uh, you know, the the – the roots and background uh, that you have as a coach can influence whether you know what answers you have too. And oh, so, oh, hundred percent. You know, and we are seeing uh, Shane Steichen have some of those answers in Indianapolis. Yep. It looks like to me when they had to think on their feet and go with a different coordinator and this type of thing. He seemed to navigate that, and I think the contrast between what Shane. Steichen has been able to do in Indy, and then what <laughs> it's looked like without him in Philly may give inform ownership and management there in, in, in with the Eagles of, okay, right? That's yeah. one of the things I'd want Nick Sirianni to explain to me. Hey, are, yeah. are we just missing? Are we missing these guys? We can't do it without them? What happened? So interesting. No, that's a good point. And, and that's my bad for thinking they were together because they were both with us at the Chargers. I didn't realize that Nick wasn't under norv's direction well it was very close i think norv was gone in 12 and i think he came in in 13 Um, but yeah they all all these guys overlap to to some degree in in your your, two degrees of separation (laughs) maybe but but shane stayed shane stayed beyond that as well both of them one was a quarterback coach one was a receiver Mm -hmm. coach for several years for us with the chargers yes let's move on to the giants too because kind of under the radar this week i know i shared with you that that uh that New York Daily News piece that really, you know, got into some of the turmoil on the coaching staff there. Just a lot of stuff's been kind of swirling around from where we were, Randy, a couple of years ago, or, you know, in, after the 2022 season, I think a pretty good outlook with the Giants. You know, we liked what they had done there. But almost everything, sometimes you're going to have a, you know, a regress year and maybe you won too early and that sort of a thing. But I think there's, different types of regress years and hey, you get your quarterback hurt, your running back was hurt. Okay. If it was just a personnel thing and you stubbed your toe, but some of this stuff that's been coming out, I, I would like your kind of expert feel on what matters or not. Um, we've seen basically the idea of the New York daily news story was basically, Hey, you know, that volcanic version of, of Brian Dayball that we see on the sideline, the guy throwing his tablet as he kind of walks away from Daniel Jones, the guy who's just ripping Tyrod Taylor on the field after he makes a situational blunder and the half runs out, the guy who uh, couldn't meet with NBC's halftime reporter, sideline reporter, because he, he just, quote, in her words, 
said his head is not in it, can't focus on anything right now in the Buffalo game. Well, basically, the Daily News story said, yeah, that version of Dayball is the guy who's in the building as well. That's why there's this conflict with Wink Martindale. That's why uh, there's all these sources that are uh, coming forward now and uh, basically painting it as a chaotic situation. They're saying the GMs had to be on the headset to, if not police, uh, what's going on with the coaches? At least listen to it. There's a story that you know demeaning uh, Wink Martindale over the headset. Hey, try not to blow this call. Try not to blow this game like he did against the Jets. All these sorts of things that tend to come out when you made some enemies. And you know there was a very negative article this year about Sean McDermott as well, painting him as kind of a tyrant uh, with Buffalo. The Bills have won six in a row since then. So sometimes these things can have truth, but we don't always know, Randy, like how important it is. Or uh, I, I would like to know what's your sort of optics feel here? What should we think is important or not? Is this just a bunch of sour grape stuff that's coming out? Or do we have genuine concerns about the leadership of the Giants? Well, I think your points are all right on. You do have years when you have things not go right. And, and they are coming off of what I would consider a great year for them last year. Yeah. And it seemed like this year with, was filled with every move they made turned out bad <laughs> for whatever reason. But I'll also say this, there's a history in this league of coaches who become head coaches and change their personality, change their agendas, change, change their communicative skills. All of these, and I'm not saying this has happened to Brian, but there ha it has happened to others where power, money, all the reasons that they move into these chairs uh, aren't becoming of them, and they kind of change the way they are. Um, I thought Dable was a really good offensive coordinator. He did a good job in Buffalo for many years, and I even think before that, you know, he was with Saban at Alabama, has a history, I think, of designing, uh, constructing, and implementing schemes, systems, and game plans all really well. I was yeah. disappointed that he's kind of gotten, gotten away from that. And I think sometimes... A coach like Brian who can sink his teeth into a game plan and, and kind of give everybody else their room because of it, because he's so involved, is, is sometimes more effective. And this seems to me like it might be one of those times when he probably needs to do less management, less communicating with others uh, and sink into what I really do good. And that's what he did was call game call games. Uh, implement systems and, and do all that. So he, he's went away from that. Mike Kafka called the plays. Then Brian would, sounds like would get involved at certain times, uh, kind of pull his weight here, but then run from it here. That's a very frustrating component of, of leadership for those under you when they don't know what's coming next from you and, yeah. and they don't understand it. And it seems to me like there's been some up and downs and people can take things however they want. But the, the light that he shines has been inconsistent. One one second, it's super bright. The next second, it's it, it's passive, you know. So I don't know. If this keeps happening, there will be a credibility issue in the building. And I don't know if Joe Shane, the GM, can cover for it all. But credible credibility in the locker room is, is, is the number one thing that will get you. And I don't know where that stands with Giants players right now. But when you throw tablets at them, when you embarrass them on public, on, on national TV, that they don't like that, nor should they have to like it. Some people get paid to take take the brunt of the blame, and and this might have been one of those cases where the high road has never really done me wrong. Brian could take the high road a few times as well. Yeah, yeah. My takeaways from listening to that insight, Randy, would be: Hey, Dayball runs a little hot. We would agree with yeah. that. Dayball runs a little hot, and Dayball's good at the game plans. 
So find a way to uh, turn the dials in a manner that accentuates what he does well and maybe, uh, you know, softens the thing that is possibly a problem or gets him into trouble. Right. That's probably the fairest way to say it. Whether or not all these details are true or the sources behind them have pure intentions or not. um, Those are probably a couple of things that we'll be looking for this next season with the Giants in his leadership style. And then, like you said, hands on in the game plan. We've been seeing Mike Kafka go around and interview for jobs, too. So, you know, they're already the defensive coordinator left in a huff. And then the special teams coach is gone, I believe, right? He, yep. he made a change there. And yep. so if you have the – if the offensive coordinator is being allowed to look around, which I guess he can – they, they can't stop him if he's doing it. I guess it's head coach interviews. But we'll see yeah. what his future is there and just the overall vibe of this offseason. Uh, and it will help us kind of reset and know what to look for next year besides the wins, which are going to have to come for him too. Yeah, I think it's a, this is a, a side note, but you see Kafka interview, you see um, the offensive coordinator, Brian Johnson from the Eagles interviewing other places as a head coach, you see the defensive coordinator from yeah. Carolina interviewing. Those interviews are important for them and for the teams. Maybe they don't end up being a real candidate as the head coach, but when they do hire a head coach, they will have already interviewed a coordinator who it sounds like in those three spots, they might be available. So don't just write off those interviews as, why would they interview this guy? He might might get fired. Well, there's a reason behind some of that. So they're gathering information, these teams all are, as are the candidates gathering information about the teams that they get to, to show their stuff in front of in one of these interviews. Yep. How about this? We're talking about NFC East drama, and we haven't even mentioned the commanders. And we just spent, you know, a good chunk of the show, drama, and there's nothing on the commanders. That's got to be a pretty good thing, right? They're not in the center of a bunch of controversies. That is a plus beyond you could (laughs) ever imagine. And I totally agree. And I'm not sure I would have believed it with the setup that they have going, with Josh Harris coming in as a new owner, with implementing a all-star panel of interviewers and... and, uh, Red flags, uh, man. (laughs) Yeah, all kinds of red flags. But I'll tell you what, you got to give them credit. They were decisive. They made a decision quickly. And in my opinion, by hiring Adam Peters as their GM, they took the top candidate off the table of anybody else. So I got to give them credit for for acting in a way that I wasn't sure they could do with all those people involved. Okay, so is it a good thing, though, that they moved first? I mean, why would it not be? I would have wanted to get the guy I wanted. And clearly he, for my money, was the best perspective. It also tells me that they're definitive in their structure. They want the general manager involved in the head coaching interviews. There's some of these places that don't have a GM and they're interviewing coaches. Well, okay, that's fine. But at some point, you better let the GM be involved in in some of that at least. And it looks to me like that in Washington now, Adam Peters not only is involved, can run the search for the head coach. My thought on that, just a potential counter would be, uh, okay, you're the ownership who has the most to learn here, right? Mm -hmm. You have the most to learn and you're making the decision first. Aren't you listening to as many people as you can and really trying to figure this thing out? Or they've had the whole year to do that, the whole season to do that. And so now they know, and right when the period starts, hey, this is the guy we want. We know what we want him. That's how how you're seeing it. I see it as we, maybe some of us, me included, thought that they were sleepwalking for the last six, eight weeks. 
And mm -hmm. no, they were just the opposite of that. They were gathering information. They had people on the panel. They had, you know, the Bob Myerses, the Rick Spielmans. Those guys have been around in their particular sports. They're going to know probably more than anybody else. They'll probably know more about what they need than Magic Johnson needs or Josh Harris needs. So those kind of guys will help you get to the decision quickly and decipher BS from BS, to be honest with you. So I yeah. think they did gather. They had their ducks lined up. And you got to give them credit for acting. Uh, in, in a definitive way. Now, and on top of that, there's potential that Ben Johnson could be a guy that they're looking at to be their head coach, which I think people would think, hey, that's one of the number one candidates by name, right? Uh, yep. Which, uh, you know, he's he's called 36 games in the NFL. It's not like he's got this huge, amazing track record, but it's looked very good in Detroit, at least in terms mm -hmm. of calling the offense. But I wanted to circle back with you on this because we've talked before hey the beltway is a place where we really want a veteran gm and coach to handle all the market you've got all this ownership group with a bunch of voices uh from whether it's the nba or or nfl or all these people with opinions on what's going on you're going to really need some experienced guys in leadership to navigate all this and handle it and to have credibility and to really show the owners around the league and hey this is how the league meetings work and this is what we need to have ready for the competition committee and here's what we do this and that well if you got adam peters and uh ben johnson that's not exactly guys who've done those sorts of things before is that concerning to you at all or no you just think the guys are so good that you just do it I think of all the guys who got interviewed and all the candidates that Adam probably was the most qualified from all the reasons you just gave. No, he's not been a GM. I get that. But I'll also say this, him together with Ben Johnson, and who's to say they don't add another person or another couple people to the mix? Um, I do know this, that Adam worked with Martin Mayhew, who was the GM there in, with the prior regime. They worked together in San Francisco. Maybe that relationship gets extended. If not... Adam, I feel like, will hire a former GM, somebody yeah. who can fill the role to connect some of the dots that you just said, because I do think it's a vital role still. And you're right. They are light on experience and perspective in a market that, hey, there's sharks swimming every day. So I do think that will be part of Adam's plan going forward, whether it's Martin or somebody else. He'll bring in a former GM that makes that thing kind of the, the glue behind ownership being new, a GM being new, and a coach being new. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. 
and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. Before we get to, we want to talk about Matt LaFleur today. Also going to go through these head coaching vacancies. I had ranked them in a column. I want to get Randy's thoughts on that. But uh, let's quickly move through uh, the Mike Tomlin news slash non-news, <laughs> depending on your point of view. It's been a weird run down the stretch here to the last few weeks where uh, there were, you know, kind of rumblings, not really reports, sort of reports, uh, suggestions yeah. from the Adam Schefters and Jay Glazers of the world. You know, hey, is there some uncertainty with Mike Tomlin's future? Could he take a Sean Payton year off? Those sorts of things. Then we saw kind of uh, comedically funny uh, when Mike Tomlin was asked about it after the game that they lost in Buffalo. You know, he kind of he walked off, stormed away, and I was wondering, okay. Are you that saying a- that was a plan? <laughs> well, I was, it looked kind of choreographed to me, yeah, but yeah, look, I hear you. <laughs> you know, the whole thing seemed kind of weird uh, down the stretch uh, for me. And look, he's he's – they usually do a contract for Mike Tomlin, I think, you know, April, May, June, that sort of a thing. So it's not like it, it you know, he was going to lapse and his key card wasn't going to work. But um, let's just go through what he said. He said, yep, I expect to be back. Imagine the contract will take care of itself. Good relationship, transparent relationship with Art, meaning Art Rooney, too. Um, you know, we can communicate all the time. Don't imagine it's going to be an issue Uh It'll probably get done at the appropriate time. My mindset is to coach the team. And then when asked about the rumors, hey, you guys in the media are better equipped to understand the origins of some of that stuff. Uh, I understand the speculation is a component of what we do. Try not to get caught up in it, distracting it, particularly when it's not where I'm at. I was thinking, man, if certainly Tomlin and his camp had to know these rumors were going on for weeks, they could have easily put them to rest. Easily. Just a single phone call to one of these uh, you know, news NFL news breaker guys. That didn't happen. Just curious what your read is. Well, I would agree with that. I don't think Adam Schefter or Jay Glazer is going to come out with just rumor and innuendo without having some kind of smoke behind what they're saying. So, and I do think you're correct. He could have put it to rest. I think they all came out for a reason. I think the message is always fluid uh, with any of these teams, not just the Steelers. But I do think Mike had a method to his madness and probably some truth to the fact of when he walked away from the podium after the last game that he he was still sending that message for the most part i liked what i heard from mike in this post post game press conference um he was non-committal on a lot of things i think he was asked a lot of questions he's always pretty pure and to the point um i think he was still sending some messages when regard when he was asked about players regarding their status um i think the contract taking care of itself, like you mentioned, is fact. They are not going to be able to hire an offensive coordinator with Mike being under contract for one year. So that makes no sense at all, nor does it really make any sense for him to go into the last year. Now, it may be a one year and an option type extension. That's fine. The one issue that I did, uh, two things. The, The offensive coordinator to me now, from what he said, is clearly going to come from the outside. I get it. The narrative on the Steelers for the last six weeks has been, 
they're just a quarterback away from being great. I don't necessarily buy that because the quarterback, although I'm not in love with the way Pickett's played, I'm not in love with Mason Rudolph either. I think it's more all from 30,000 feet. They're a offensive system away from being a playoff team. So regardless of the quarterback, their scheme yeah. sucks, okay? It's been bad for two years. Everybody's made fun of it. Um, they've got to figure out a vision for what they want to do and where they want to be going forward on offense. That's more inclusive than just a quarterback. So they've got to sort that out. The other thing I think with regard to him is he will he, – he, in talking about his contract, he was also asked – is this going to be a year-to-year -year thing for you? Is this something that you foresee being here long-term? His response to that was telling for me in that he didn't say, I'm here for the long run. This is when he came out with the comment of, hey, my key card still works. I love what I'm doing. I love getting up every day. He didn't answer the question. Mm. And I know, I think you understand, we've gone through this really in Seattle with Pete Carroll. We've gone through other places where if the coach isn't in for the long haul, different decisions have to be made uh, with a vision further out than year to year on building your team, on how you're setting club precedent, on really the construction of your whole organization. So at some point, I would hope that Mike either says, I'm in here for the long haul, for if for no other reason, just to build some, some uh, faith that we can make decisions for the next two or three years. I don't need a commitment for five years, but the year to year, I feel good about when I get up every morning, that rang hollow for me and that I thought he needed to make more of a commitment for that. That was the only really negative critique that I could give what he said because the rest of it was, was pretty much coach speak, but in Tomlin way that makes you think it's very authentic, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've always liked his delivery, uh, but I think he's also super smart and intentional with everything he does and says. Super smart and intentional. Yes. Uh, everything's thought through. And, you know, as I looked at them, uh, just kind of the landscape there, you know, a, a couple things occurred. One, haven't won a playoff game since the 16 season. That's a long time ago. You go look at the league in 2016. A lot's happened since then. Dan Rooney's died, Big Ben retired, Kevin Colbert retired, and so on. So, you know, I, I have just kind of been curious to see, uh, you know, how great the partnership will be. He did mention a great relationship with Art Rooney. So yeah. that's going to have to sustain this whole thing. And it can. It can. So I we'll agree see. with that. Because yeah. he, he was also asked about Omar Khan, the GM, and, and how confident he was in that Omar could do his part of it. And it was a one-word answer back. He said, confident. That's all he said. There was no expanded answer. There was no nothing else yeah. that I heard about it. So that, yeah. that was a little bit, you know, I wouldn't say it's alarming, but I would have thought that there may have been more of a, a wide-ranging yeah. answer in collaborating with Omar instead of just one yeah. word, that's for sure. Because he did take the time to say, yeah, the Rooney relationship was was what it yeah. was, and, and it was yeah. glowing, glowing. Yeah, just all of those changes have happened, yes. and they happen incrementally over time, and then you have to look back and realize that, oh, my gosh, like the most yeah. important things to the head coach there are different than they were before. So you have to yes. think about these things and it doesn't mean you spread rumors of it that it's going to fall apart or something. No, but these are things to be aware of uh, and that usually typically have to be navigated and we're just attuned to it. So okay. that's what I'd say about that. Let's move to another historic franchise from the Steelers to the Green Bay Packers. Hmm. Big winners in the wild card round tell you here in the sando house i got my office downstairs randy <laughs> my son was corrupted by his 
uh, kindergarten teacher was from Green Bay. She got him going on the Packers since he was like four years old. And so I'm trying to work down here, watch work. I mean, like my job's work. <laughs> but I'm trying to, you know, monitor the games in my office. And the TV upstairs is apparently a few seconds ahead. And uh -oh. so I'm here. I, whenever I hear this stomping up upstairs, I know something big happened for the Packers. And then the dog comes right. running down scared. Uh, <laughs> and it was quite a day for uh, my son wearing his his uh, Savage jersey, number 26 on the pick six. Yeah. Really, for a team, Randy, that had a bad year in 2022, mm -hmm. did not start well this year, could have been really easy to question Matt LaFleur, where they're at. They win seven of their final ten. The quarterback looks good. They add an eighth win in the playoffs. Shoot, we got to give Matt LaFleur some flowers here, don't we? Oh, I think you definitely have to. I think one of the biggest questions we had when the season started was how would Matt LaFleur lead? This is the first time without Aaron Rodgers where he was kind of lone soldier, right? He was HMFIC, you know, this was yeah. for the first time. And so um, it is what it is in that he has weathered the storm. I think for me, it's as much of a testament as how much coaching matters, how much teaching matters, and how much developing players matter. Because it's been said from day one how young this offense is for the Packers. And it's come light years since we saw them week one. These players, especially that receiving room, has done really good. They've evolved as uh, improving at their trade. They've evolved in learning a system. I think for me, it showed me that Matt LaFleur is not just a play caller. He has a system in place. Um, and it has answers for the quarterback. And if the quarterback can feel comfortable uh, with the speed of the game around him, he's going to be supplied with answers. And that's why I would be most excited to be a Packer fan is because the speed of the game hasn't bothered Jordan Love and the offensive system, not just plays, the system gives the quarterback all the answers he needs. And see, if he can find the answers once the snap gets in his hands, like he has the last few weeks, the sky's the limit because really he's going to get a lot better with the reps he gets in regular season and in these playoff reps are are super valuable. See, that's interesting to me because I can remember a few years ago. It's It's been a few years. Uh, LaFleur's been there a while now, but a few years ago I can remember when they maybe lost a big game to the 49ers. And I remember talking to a coach who was critical a little bit uh, scheme-wise you know, in what they were doing. And it's always been interesting to me because – as much as uh, Matt LaFleur was, you know, enabled by the greatness of Aaron Rodgers, he also probably couldn't do everything he wanted to do because Aaron's going to do whatever he wants at the line of scrimmage and, and improvise. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's a virtuoso out there doing his own thing. So maybe we've, you know, if you were fearful of what you might learn uh, about Matt LaFleur in the absence of Aaron Rodgers, it's actually been a good chance to see that he does bring a system to the table. And we've heard some of the players there, or we've heard even opponents there talk about uh, what that means. That, that It's a little bit more of a coherent, uh, purposeful progression, right? Yeah, no doubt. I think, and again, this is the next step. We hadn't seen Matt LaFleur at this level um, do things in the playoffs that actually paid off. They've been good. They've won a lot of regular season games, much like we hear the criticism out of Dallas about Mike McCarthy, but I think these playoff games, and you know how I feel about the second half of NFL seasons. I think it's all about coaching. These playoff games kick it up a notch. It's all about specific designs, game plans, 
doing everything you can to win one particular game. Um, I think Matt LaFleur has done that coming down the stretch to where he's definitely expunging a lot of the questions we all had about the system and, and his operation of it. And I can't overemphasize enough that it's all about giving the quarterback answers. That's why I feel bad for a guy like Jalen Hurts in Philly because I don't think he had the answers. I yeah. feel bad at times for Justin Fields in, in Chicago because he didn't have all the answers. Um, it's just it, it's a it's a marriage between the system and the quarterback that advances your offense, and it, it's really evident at the NFL level. It seems like it was a great one between Jay Gruden and RG three. Did you see? Have you seen their Twitter stuff? Well, <laughs> I did very see mature, a high level. It's been Holy very entertaining. Moly. But yeah, yeah, those because <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Jay said, "Oh man, I apologize to any any, any quarterbacks if I." put them in as bad a position as the Eagles are putting Jalen Hurts in. And, and, and yeah. Robert Griffin threw third at a hilarious. He jumped in. Well, it I was got my hand so up. funny. He yeah. had so funny. He had a picture of him with his glasses down on the end of his nose, like, uh, excuse me here. <laughs> <laughs> and then that devolved into an absolute oh, yeah. food fight. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> That's this a is, good description. This is great. Yeah, nobody wants you. Nobody I'm, wanted you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm watching the whole thing, okay? I love it. I mean, it's bad, probably. It's not yeah. very mature. Uh, especially oh, really? for the coach. I mean, come yeah. on. The coach can't just be doing this. You know, just yeah. the high road. You, you mentioned the high road. But isn't it entertaining when people take the low road? Uh, it sure is. It um, happens so often. It This yeah. ego is just immense, right? And the power yeah. of ego and the yeah. power of an agenda. It just kills people if they could only just bite their lip and take the high road. Yeah, yeah. It would serve them so much better as a professional and I think personally. You learn a lot about people, that's for sure. Yeah, you do. You, you do. mentioned it all about coaching down the stretch. You know, I'd been talking to a, a former GM. Sorry, Randy, you're not the only former GM that I Oh, I man, I'm to, hurt. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> no, but he said uh, it wasn't in relation to Lafleur, but it was. we were kind of more talking about McCarthy. Um, but he, he had the axiom kind of, of something along the lines of general managers win regular season game, coaches win playoff games. That's kind of what you're talking about. You're talking about yeah. even the second half of the season, but the coaches yes. have to differentiate, right? You can put a good roster together that's going to win a lot of games, but the coaches do differentiate a lot in the end. So No doubt. I think what that roster becomes at the halfway point is what yeah. a coach has to work with in the second half of a season and in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Hey, let's face it. Bill Belichick's won a lot of games. Nobody has been better at designing game plans and strategy on a week-to-week -week basis than him over the last 20 years in the league. And that's why most people think he's the greatest, at least over that span yeah. of time. So yeah. the good coaches, they get noticed in the second half of seasons and in the playoffs, and, and it really matters. So... One last thing on the floor, you know, the elephant in the room here is just that everyone was kind of calling for Joe Barry's head, you know, during the yeah. season. And then, uh, you know, they obviously had a great first half defensively against Dallas. And mm -hmm. in the end of the game, their stats weren't good defensively, but they dominated defensively to, to put them the big lead. And then LaFleur even sort of apologized for taking players out. They gave a lot of meaningless yards and points yeah. late in the game. But um, I think that will be an interesting thing for Matt LaFleur. We've talked about that before, that the job is also in the offseason. It, it's being able to make the tough decisions. It's having the right plan for your defense. I think that will be interesting. I'd love to be in on those meetings of, hey, what are our issues on defense? Is it To what extent is it personnel? To what extent is it coordinator? To what extent is it the match of those two things? Because really, they now if the doors get blown off of them, you know, and they give up 50 points to the 49ers, you know, it's probably easier to to make a, a decision but 
shoot, they're playing, they played pretty good. So I think that, isn't that kind of a, where would you be in a conversation like that? I mean, does the GM take a lead in that or is it all in the coach or what? Well, I think it depends on your organizational philosophy. I think a lot depends on how involved the GM feels comfortable getting. Um, I never felt great in demanding coaching staff changes from my coach. Um, But I do think a conversation like this has to lead the way. And sometimes it's hard for a head coach to make a decision based on recency biased. And and that's kind of what you're going to see, I think, come out of Lafleur with regard to Joe Barry is the last couple of weeks weren't so bad. Why would we want to change that? But again, you've got to go back to the full body of work. I keep saying that, but you can't be swayed by one game here or a half there. You've got a full body of work to consider yep, yep. when you come up with these plans. And I think if nothing else, it's the GM's job to keep that conversation on track with that with that cloud over the top, right? We're, we're going to yep. look at, let's look at the last two years and where we're at and have we evolved. If not, if our personnel doesn't fit, and if that's what the coach is saying now, then why didn't this come up before? If it did, there should be evidence clearly now whether that was right or that was wrong. So these conversations, I think, are fluid. I think they have to happen. There's a lot of places, and we've talked about it here, Mike, on the pod, a lot of places where they won't have these awkward conversations. They just want to rubber stamp something because this is what the coach wants or this is what the GM wants. I'm all for having these conversations because I think it makes us all better at the end and is stronger for the organization. And if you have an owner that wants to weigh in, you know, hopefully not in the in the style of a David Tepper, but somebody that wants to weigh in, you got to take that information in. None of us are smarter than all of us. And so it depends, like I say, on the organization's philosophy, but on the GM philosophy as well as how he wants to manage the whole picture. Yep, absolutely. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So before we get to the GM notebook and into our picks here, uh, we'll just touch on 
with all these job openings, there were eight openings. One of them really wasn't an opening because New England had a plan with Gerard Mayo getting the job, but we'll lump them in there. I went through this week, Randy, and kind of ranked these in order of what I thought would be the appeal to a candidate, which uh, my order came out being Chargers, Falcons, Seahawks, Patriots, Raiders, Commanders, Titans, and Panthers. And basically when I tried to come up with a criteria, I was thinking from a head coaching standpoint, I would be looking at, hey, what's my odds of winning in the first couple of years? Because these guys get fired if you don't. You have to show something um, you know, right away, typically. And then is the division a killer or super easy? I think that is something that a lot of candidates would look at. You can't be choosy in these situations, but that's something right. you'd look at. And then is there a fatal flaw with ownership? You know, right. uh, was a third one. Um, what do you think of that from a coach's standpoint? You look at things from the GM chair. How's it different for a coach and what else might you put in there? Well, I think your criteria is pretty good. Uh, I I happen to think the partnership between that head coach and the GM mm-hmm. is probably of utmost importance because you're working elbow to elbow every day, all day. Um, and I, what I would want to know as the head coach is, can the two of us, you know, get support in every way from ownership and get all the tools that we need to make collaborative, correct decisions going forward. I think that's the key for me is the collaboration and the setup and the relationship. And sometimes that includes uh, evaluating personalities. It definitely includes perspective and and communicative skills. Those are all important as well. So uh, I don't disagree with your criteria. Um, We'll see how some of these places work out. I, I didn't disagree with your order either. The only criteria that I would include said another way is that some of these teams don't have a GM yet. So my yeah. order could be subject to who the GM is going to be. For example, we've talked about Adam Peters being in Washington now. To me, that might move them up a little bit and the way yeah. they went about their job of hiring him. So I might move them up a slot or two, and I can't remember where you had them, but I think it was below yeah, I had the them lower. Yeah. yeah, I had them I had them only above Tennessee and in Carolina. In Carolina, yeah. So that may move them up a little bit because we know more. That may be more stable now than, say, the Raiders, who, yeah. who I would have thought is a good job, or even New England at yeah. this point. I like the setup better for them to succeed, whoever the head coach is with, with the commanders. So those kind of things. You know, I probably have New England a little high. I ended up having them fourth, and as I look at this, I just – you know, we have question marks about, it's funny, question marks about the Crafts. I mean, Robert Crafts yep. been on the edge of the Hall of Fame. But uh, in, it's kind of an interesting place now. Uh, my quick uh, run through these was, for me, the Chargers with a top quarterback and owners who don't drive success. We've talked about that. But maybe give your candidate a longer runway. They're going to let you. Really, I believe Brandon Staley would still be there if he had a little bit of a different personal style, right? All those other guys, Lynn, McCoy, they got four years. Without really, maybe each one won one playoff game. So for a candidate to go in there, I'd feel like, hey, off of Staley, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a real chance there with Herbert. Um, the Falcons, to me, it's an easier division. I think the owner's fine. Uh, there's some imperfections there, but he's probably gonna, uh, probably gonna be supportive. And I th- also, does it feel like Arthur Blank drives some accountability there too, or no? Oh, I think he definitely does. I think yeah. you see that. And, and like I think you mentioned in your column, he's swung for big fish before and it doesn't bother him. That may yeah. not be the best thing for, for Rich McKay or for yeah. Terry yeah. Fontenot, but Arthur's going to do 
Arthur yeah. Blank is going to do what he wants to do, and and I think that's a yeah. that's a good thing for the Falcons. I had the Seahawks next, but I yeah, the more I think about it, like not only are you following Pete Carroll, they've gone nine and eight twice, so they're not happy with that. You go in there, you better be winning ten games, in my opinion. You better be moving the needle quickly. They're not seeing themselves as much as a rebuild. Uh, they think they've got young players and are ready to go, and you better share that vision with their front office, right? Yeah, that can be concerning if you don't, for sure, because I think there's a sense that they might have underachieved a little bit throughout mm-hmm. uh, in their minds. I'm not sure the outside world would drink the same Kool-Aid, but um, at some they point— They hit their they Vegas to, win total. Yeah, they, they hit exactly what people thought yeah. they would be. You know, so. they, they, They've checked the box of ownership. Ownership is very supportive of them, of, of the football operation— but yet they will ask some hard questions as evidenced by the change yeah. at the top now. So I like that. Um, John Schneider's been around a long time. He's never sure. really been in charge yet. So this is his first run through that. But he's a reasonable guy. I think we'll collaborative. collaborative yeah, yeah. in every way. So that's a plus. And I just think overall, this is an organization that has been run in a first-class operation. I mean, they take care of their people from the non-business side to the non-football side, I mean, to the yeah. business side. All their people are are well-compensated, good, good people around. There's a lot to be said for that as well. I agree. Now, they do have a situation where, uh, you know, the, the team could be sold, uh, you know, in not in the next year or so, but maybe two, three years down the road, or it could be 10 years. There's, a, there's an interesting... Uh, situation there where Paul Allen, the previous owner in his trust, specified that all of his assets had to be sold. So if you're coming in as a coach, you maybe you have some questions about that. Uh, make sure everything's going to be in good hands. I kind of trust Jody Allen. I kind of trust the yeah. Allen Trust to do what's best for the organization long term. So it doesn't overly concern me. Just something on the radar a little bit. Uh, I had New England next. We've talked about that. I feel like they may be in a little bit of a transition phase here, figuring out who they want to be. And so it's a great situation for Gerard Mayo because I don't know that he off of last season was going to get a job somewhere else. So it's, a, it's the best opportunity he can get, but we have some questions about who they are. Raiders tough division, maybe not the coaching job for everybody. I feel like, you know, you've talked about the, the back stairwell being open to the owner's office. I believe then you need a coach that can really connect with your players or he's going to be in trouble, right? Well, if that's the case, Antonio Pierce is the guy. Unfortunately, whoever they hire as a GM is going to have to put a block uh, going from the third floor to the fourth floor and and direct those players into his office and not up the back yeah. staircase to, to Davis's. That I also thought, yeah, I think it'll be Antonio Pierce too. Mike Vrabel would be an interesting one too, also as a former player, right? Uh, kind of straight shooter type former players, tough guys, you know. Uh, Accountable, yeah. But I think it's going to be Pierce as well. Yeah. Titans, to me, I think the owner's kind of been a little all over the place. The GM doesn't have much of a track record. The roster's lagging behind the rest of the division. Yep. I had a hard time putting – they don't have a quarterback, to, in my opinion, um, no. and don't have a great way necessarily to get one. We'll see. Carolina, David Tepper, we talked a little bit about that. That's just is what it is, so – no, I, I agree with you. The bottom, the, yeah, the bottom of your list was even not debatable. I think you're right. Yeah. Seven was Tennessee, yeah. eight was Carolina, and I, I, I feel bad pointing yeah. out the facts, but that's just the way yeah. it is. 
It is. Okay. So let's hit the GM notebook before we get into our illustrious pick segment, where it looks like we disagree on some games. So I like it. Well, we are, but uh, you have the lead in the pick game. So I'm going to defer to your <laughs> <You're> expertise. Gonna... <laughs> your expertise. <laughs> my is, luck. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's expertise that at the highest level. <laughs> yeah. I, I right. just have really one thing for the GM notebook. So I'll, uh-huh. I'll make it kind of short and sweet. Um, I saw the other day where Cliff Kingsbury is set to interview for the Chicago Bears and their offensive coordinator uh-huh. job. Bears fans There's are very excited. a lot you can read in there. Yeah, the fans mm-hmm. are excited. There's a lot to read into that decision to bring him in. Obviously, we know Cliff's background, uh, but most recently he spent the past season at USC as an analyst. So obviously he's worked with Caleb Williams. The connection is easy to make there. I've often said, Mike, that I'm surprised when a team that drafts a quarterback high doesn't bring some connection to his offensive scheme that he's been so good at that got him to where he was picked high in a draft with him to the new team. Um, I don't love Cliff Kingsbury's offense, I'll say that, but it's obviously one that Caleb Williams has ran at the highest level. I think there's two reasons for this interview. One is you can gather intel on Caleb Williams from the guy himself who spent probably as much time with him as anybody, Cliff Kingsbury, for the last year. So that's a great interview and great information gathering tool. The other thing is, does this offense make sense at our level? Let's just hear it from Cliff. You sell your offense to us if it makes sense we buy it. So it's a simplistic system. When you bring a guy like that in, um, you get to hear his version of it. And I think it's a great move by the Bears and one that on several different levels can be really informative going forward. Yeah. Very good. Very good. We'll see what they do there. That whole Caleb Williams thing is interesting to me, but we'll touch on that, I'm sure, in future GM notebooks and football GM podcasts. Uh, are we still worried of, about him painting his fingernails? Is that the latest, or are we over that now? No, I, that was I, actually I hear some nice of that going story. around. Yeah, I, I, I've seen people who was there's recently there was painting the toenails too. You know, so oh you my know, gosh, that's, that's, he it's can paint good. him whatever color he wants. I got bigger I, fish to fry. I'm not worried. I about agree. That. He can paint him whatever he wants. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Just just as long as it doesn't affect the grip on that football. <laughs> yeah. That's all we're really. I would say this. Let me just add one more note to that to the notebook uh-huh. about Cliff Kingsbury. I think Caleb Williams can run any offense. So my his skill set transfers yeah. beyond the Lincoln Riley offense, beyond the Cliff Kingsbury offense. Yeah. So I wouldn't box right. us into having to run that because his right. his skills and his ability, I think, could work as a pocket passer. It can work as a structured thrower, a non-structured thrower, uh, yeah. on-the-move thrower, all that. So I don't think they're limiting themselves by saying this is – the only thing he can do, because I think Caleb is beyond any scheme. I think he's he's that good. Right. Whereas with the Justin Fields, you might be saying, hey, let's get a certain specific yes. guy who's Correct. going to do, play to his strengths because the versatility wouldn't be there. You'd, you'd want to make sure you played a certain way. So, yep. All right, Mueller, we get into the pick. Sando, a big five Sando, and one just, last week. Just man, kicking have you, myself. Have you sobered up yet? I mean, well, five and one, you, you might. Holy mackerel. And, That's and a- it was so dumb because I, I, the one I missed was picking Cleveland, and I knew better. I just kind of wanted to see them play Baltimore. And, uh, <laughs> it was, it was, yeah. I was kind of hope. I wasn't rooting in the game, but I just thought oh, that would be kind of cool to have an AFC North uh, game. But, hey, great job, Texans. It was true that over the course of a game, having C.J. Stroud was going <laughs> to matter and having <laughs> Joe Flacco on the other hand was going to matter. 
yeah. Randy, you were three and three, not bad. Uh, just you came close on that Pittsburgh coming through with that. Yeah, I couldn't cover, cover the points. Couldn't cover the points. I didn't think Pittsburgh would win, but I thought they'd cover. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Really, yeah. same with Detroit. I, I picked Detroit to win. Um, they won by one point, and not three. So I didn't. Miss yeah, by yeah, far, it wasn't right. by well, yeah, it wasn't bad. Uh, um, all right, so we're picking all the games now in the uh, in the divisional round. Who do you got? I'm going to make it easy for myself, and I don't know if it's you know you uh, might talk me out of some of these, but it, it's going to be boring for me. But I like the home teams. I like the chalk. I think the home teams are clearly the better teams, and I I don't feel great about the numbers that I, that they have to cover, but it beats the alternative for me. So I like San Francisco. Uh, Given nine and a half points, I think Green Bay might find a way to backdoor cover that, but that burned me last week, so I'm staying away from that. Baltimore at at being a nine point favorite over Houston, I think Houston is is probably peaked to where their offense is what it is, their quarterback is what he is for this year, which has been awesome. I just think at some point these number one seeds are going to step to the forefront now having a week off and that's what i see with baltimore and san francisco um detroit six and a half point favorites i have more faith probably in ben johnson on offense than i have really with anybody running an offense against todd Bowles' defense i think you know what you're getting with todd Bowles, and i think ben johnson will have a plan to deal with that blitz much better than the eagles did and then i think the epic game and i love that it's the last game the buffalo kansas city game um I, I think I told you this in one of our conversations earlier. The 13-second game from two years ago probably is as good a game as I've ever seen in the NFL. I absolutely loved every part of it. It was two Warriors at quarterback going back and forth, making miraculous throws. If we get half as good as that game this week, I'll be thrilled. Um, I just think it's Buffalo's time. I think they have a couple of different ways they can win. Um uh, I'm picking Buffalo and giving the two and a half points. So I'm taking four favorites, giving points every every one, four home four home teams. Interesting here because I think I'm doing all of the other teams. Oh my gosh! Uh, I, I love it here. So I love it. We can have some major separation Ooh, here, Randy. I wow. mean, it'd be over. I I wouldn't even have to pick games after that if I were yeah, to win, yeah. or I could be right back. Uh, so here's my thinking. I'll take the Packers in nine and a half. I'm a little worried. I think that the 49ers will run the ball. I think that the 49ers could really win going away. Packers have covered 63% of the time yeah. versus opponents that are 500 or better at the, the kickoff. So I'm just going to roll with them being a little bit of a better team uh, than, they've been, than they're given credit for. Um, yep. I didn't think that they were going to beat Dallas, but I did pick them with the points. Uh, I sort of feel a little similar this week that they're a team that's got something going. And look, I think the 49ers are better, should win the game. But I'll say with that amount of points, I'll take the nine and a half. I'm going to take Houston the nine and a half too, and I'm also a little bit worried about it. But as I was going through and looking, there's a couple things that make me like this. Number one, I love the fact that Houston played Baltimore in Week One. Yeah, I think Baltimore. There's something to that. You know, you always see, you know, Lamar Jackson's twenty and one against the NFC and all that stuff. I think when you haven't played Baltimore before. For whatever reason, Lamar, the way they play, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a shock. We've seen them roll Detroit, roll Seattle. Some of these teams that were on the fringe of playoffs or in the playoffs, they just made them look like the JV squad, and they they beat the 
49ers as well, although that they rolled game, them the, too. Yep. <laughs> but the 49ers had a lot of opportunities in that game, made a lot of big plays, probably had over 400 yards. Some bad, uh, you know, turnovers in the game really hurt them. But when I look at the Texans this year, when CJ Stroud starts, they have lost by double digits in week one and two. Now, they also lost double digits in the Jet game in week 14. But really, all the rest of their games, they either won or were super close, uh, not playing teams of this caliber. But I'll just give them that they can keep it within nine and a half. Let's just see. I'm going to take Kansas City in the two and a half. I'll just take Patrick Mahomes and an underdog any day of the week. Uh, I still have questions about Buffalo in the tight situations and the game situations. They've been able to overcome those. They're not playing the Steelers this week. I don't think they should have beat Kansas City last time. It was an amazing play that the Chiefs made when they weren't even playing well to win the game, and we had offensive offsides. So there you go, whatever you think of that. I'm a little nervous taking Tampa Bay, but I'll take the six and a half. I'm just afraid the Bucks can't keep up offensively. Right. But Detroit, the last two times they were favored by six plus, both times at home, both times not that long ago against Chicago and Green Bay, they didn't cover. So I'm going to say that Tampa Bay, against a good but flawed uh, Lions team, maybe they don't win the game, but maybe they're feisty and hang around. Just like Mueller, you're feisty, you hang around with these picks. <laughs> Bite you're right there. Yeah, biting yeah. kneecaps and you're ready to make a huge move on me. I love the fact that we're <laughs> on the opposite ends of these. Um, this is probably my worst instincts because I've had bad weeks before where I make stupid decisions and and, <laughs> and this could be one of those. So uh, I'm looking forward fun. to the games, really. Can you believe that either Tampa or Detroit's going to be in the NFC Championship? If you thought yeah. that going in, Tampa or Detroit's going to be in the NFC Championship. It's so set up for the 49ers. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, they better be in the Super Bowl, you know, yeah. this year with the team they've got, the health they've got. So yeah. that's going to about do it for us. I did want to address one thing. Um, we had talked late in the year about the University of Washington coach, Kalen DeBoer. Um, and remember, we had talked about the fact that Jim Harbaugh and DeBoer had shared Don Yee's agency as a, as a representation. I did learn that DeBoer had switched to Jimmy Sexton at some point in the last se- this season. I just wanted to clarify that because both, all these guys have been in the news with Kalen DeBoer going to Alabama, obviously leaving a lot of University of Washington fans upset. I don't know how you could turn that down, though, Randy. Is there any way? Do you hold it against him? I'm just curious. I don't hold it against him. It's not like Caleb DeBoer is a Northwest guy. I think if – and it happens a lot – if you hire somebody from outside your region, I think the heartstrings are always tugging them to go home, and that's an issue. Like I think at some point Dan Lanning's going to have a tr- have trouble saying no as well. He's saying yes, yes, you know I'm staying in Oregon now forever, but at some point somebody's going to try to drag him back home wherever he's from. But I don't hold it against the board. I, I don't I think- either. No, the handling of it, I don't know any of that. But but to yeah. me. If he had left for a similar job, or even if he had gone to USC or somewhere like that, I'd be like, hey, wait a minute. You can't say we're building something special. But the Nick Saban retirement from Alabama, that's a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to get the Alabama job. And I think you saw that. Yeah. Yeah. So 
I think he would have a hard time turning that down. I kind of don't fault somebody for doing that if it's for that one job, right? Yeah, I agree. He's going to yeah. get at Alabama a, a higher quality player more consistently yeah. to help him win national championships than he would at in Seattle at the UW. Yeah. I just yeah. think that's that's probably reason enough right there. That's not going away. He'll always yep. have a chance to to win a national championship every year at Alabama. And I bet it feels terrible. I bet it does feel you, you'd have to not be human or you'd have to be super yeah. cynical to say it doesn't feel bad to leave because sure. you do leave them high and dry. But there's mm-hmm. certain jobs that you I think you take, yep. you know, and you just, I can't, I got to do this. No even doubt. though the timing's tough. So anyway, I want to put a bow on that. We put a bow on this podcast. Let's enjoy a great divisional round game. It's such a great round that we don't even have this. We have different picks on every game, so it should really be fun. Thanks for coming along. We'll see you next week. This was the Athletic Football Show's Football GM Podcast.